Now, discipline does not sound good. It doesn't sound good to the Marine that has to wake up at 445 to go run. It doesn't sound good to the person on the job that has to get corrected and told, okay, this is the last warning. You really need to fix this. None of that ever sounds good, but it's for our good. So I want to, this, this week and next week, it's a two-part message in the same series, but really what I, I wanted to do today was less preaching and more teaching. Um, I'll tell you something that really blesses me, talking about a church that honors God. It really blesses me. Recently, I had somebody in the church come up to me, and they had a question about a message that I preached, and they pulled out their phone, and they had notes in their phone from my message. And they reread them throughout the week and they had something that they wanted to go back and look at. And so they said, hey, when you said this, what exactly, like, what does this mean? And I thought to myself, wow, that's awesome. So don't let it just go in and out. Take your phone out if you want to. Don't text. Don't play. Don't play whatever game you play. Take notes, or you can go old school and take a pen and paper, because today I'm going to teach you a few things about the church and what discipline looks like within the church. The truth is that we are to discipline one another, and that's the title of my message today, is Discipline One Another. And you say, um, nope, not me. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, you. Discipline one another. In fact, this is a godly, God-honoring activity that should happen inside of the local church. Um, so I guess the question really, I have a couple questions I'm going to ask you today. But the question to start with is, if you understand the biblical idea of church then you must understand that it's more than just helping each other materially. Um, you know, somebody gets into a car accident, has a house fire, loses a job, whatever the case is, and we go and we show up and we show out strong and we move boxes and we do things and we bless them. And we, it's more than just that. Living life together as a church is more than just helping materially. It's more than just sending an encouraging note of, hey, I prayed for you today. Oh, I'm so sorry your your leg is hurting or your father's in the hospital or whatever. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. It's more than that as well. There's a depth to the body of Christ that I feel like many churches, and if I'm honest, I feel like our church is lacking a certain depth when it comes to this idea of partnering together as brothers and sisters and being able to talk through issues and work out solutions that cause us all to grow further in our relationship with God. So I'm going to say this two times today, right now, because it's on my heart and it fits. And later in my notes, the same thing. You need to listen to me and listen to me well. The word of God trumps every cultural norm, every societal norm, every preconceived or presumption, every political correct thought. So we are Americans, right? Everybody in here, we are American people. We believe in the individuality and we believe in going your own way and you can strike your own path and you can do and you, you, you. So when it comes to looking at the scripture and when it says you, 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 not me, 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 
then sometimes what we end up doing is balking at that and being like, yeah, that's really old school, not going to do that. And there's a couple different things that have happened within the body of Christ as a whole that caused that to burden my heart and to say, hey, listen, if we could be doing better, in fact, I'll tell you a secret. I've been disciplining you for the last several weeks because I've been telling you how, how you should, yeah, I should be, I, that's my job and it's your job one to another as well. And I think sometimes we think, oh, that's not my business. Oh, I'm not going to talk about that. No, why would I? But the, the word of God says something very different. Um, we have an obligation to each other to speak honestly about our faults, about our shortcomings. Um, not to say, hey, I'm struggling with this, get a pat on the back, I'll pray for you, but an actual strong sort of conversation that leads to the place of accountability and says, next week, how have you been doing with this? You need to stop this. Those sorts of words should come from the mouths of believers in the body of Christ to one another. And we're going to talk through what that means and looks like today. Because we'll see even in scripture that people inside the church departed from scripture. So we have an obligation when we know of sin. I want you to get this in your brain. You have an obligation, not your pastor. That's not what you pay me for. You don't pay me to be the guy who you report to so that then I can go do the dirty work. We're not playing good cop, bad cop. The word of God sincerely, I'm telling you from my heart, because you're gonna be, your, your eyes are gonna be open to a couple places maybe you've never seen before of Paul addressing issues with inside of a church. And he said, listen, if this doesn't get corrected quick, push them out. Get them out of the body because they're infecting the body. He did not say that to the pastor to do. He said it to the person who knew of the issue. So us doing community together sounds so wonderful and hazy and beautiful. But at the end of the day, what it really means is you have permission and you have permission to get into each other's lives and to help spur one another on to good works. Not to just sit back and say, yeah, it's so sad that Amy's been dealing with this for so long. It's to actually help her to overcome and to move on. Amen? So we're going to see some things maybe you've never looked at before, but I really think that this is a helpful message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it at the end pretty much like a cold ending because I'm going to pick up next week with the second part of it. But the idea that really burdens my heart is this, that we don't realize in the church that sometimes those things even get escalated to the place of being public knowledge to the church. So when issues happen and issues arise, no one is immune to correction. Um, I think one of the vital aspects of a healthy church is the proper practice of church discipline. So, uh, and I think it's consistent with church membership. We're going to talk about our church covenant today, our membership covenant, and what you signed on to, or what hopefully, if you're not a member, you'll be interested in signing on to, because it's a partnership between all of us to grow together. The first question is this. I'm going to ask you three simple questions today and expound on them. But the first is this. 
is all discipline negative? What say you? No? Okay, that's a few no's. Is all discipline negative? The answer is no, it is not. I think when we hear of discipline, we think to only correction. We tend to only think it's correction. But the truth is, we all need discipline, and there's two different types of discipline. Um, So the first type of discipline would be corrective. Now, this is corrective discipline that we think of. It's self-explanatory. It's you did bad, don't do that again, that sort of discipline. But there's another sort of discipline that I think sometimes we forget about, and that is what we call formative discipline. Think about it like this. I don't know how many of you have any kind of exposure to um, having trees or plants or bushes or something and have a green thumb. I think I asked several weeks back who has a green thumb and like a single hand went up. Um, But if you've ever seen pictures of boards, wood that have been leaned against the trunk of a tree and wrapped around with banding, that is formative discipline. It is helping the tree to grow straight. You can't go and tell the tree to grow straight. You actually have to help it grow straight. So you've got to think about it in these terms. Um, formative discipline could be uh, training wheels on a bicycle. You are forming a pattern of trust, and so you're helping that child understand what it's like. Uh, it could be the repeated comments from your mom about keeping your mouth shut when you chew. <laughs> um, she didn't say that about me. She said that about my kids, just, just letting you know, and not about my mom. Um, but my kids, how many of you know a smacker? It's like the worst thing ever, okay? And my wife has almost clear drove off the road trying to get them to stop. She stopped the music, pumped the brakes. I mean, if you don't stop that, you've got to spit that gum out, you know, whatever it is. And I see you. I see you, Sean. (laughs) He's going... (laughs) But that is formative discipline. It's the constant caution of don't do that. Let's have table manners. Remember, no elbows on the table. Guys have a hard time with that sometimes. It's the caution to be considerate about the words that you choose. Sweetheart, we can't use words like that with our friends. It's that kind of thing that is forming us and shaping us to become someone. That type of shaping and forming discipline happens in our families, and that's good and right. It teaches you what's to be valued and what's to be avoided. That same kind of discipline happens within the context of a local church. When you listen to a message and apply it to your life, when you participate in a small group, when you serve in a church and you're part of a team and someone gives correction, that sort of stuff is helping guide and shape and get us to the right place. So our understanding of life's values are shaped by these influences. Think about it. We're taught by books and schools and sermons and small groups, all these things about how to be formed into Christ's image. And I really think that there's a dynamic of discipline that is positive, and it's this one. It's that formative discipline. So all discipline is not negative. The second question is this. You say, Pastor, no verses yet? No verses yet. I told you this is teaching. I'm trying to help you today, but we've got a lot of scripture to cover in just a second. The second question is this. What is church discipline? You say, well, who has a right to tell me that I'm wrong? 
The short answer is everyone in the body of Christ where you've become a member. That's why I think that a lot of people don't want to become members in churches is because they don't want accountability. I know that's not this church. We've never had somebody say, no, I'm not interested. Just kidding. We have. But I have lots of buddies who are pastors. I read all kinds of resources. I know stats that I could tell you about people who choose not to. You probably know someone who says, well, it's okay. I just, I watch something on TV on a Sunday morning. I have a lazy breakfast. I don't need to go to church. That sort of attitude contributes to the idea that I don't want anybody else to help me. All right. So church discipline. It's the process of discipleship and correction for every believer by every believer. So you might wonder, like, if we're all about getting people into the church and pastor, we're still a smaller church. um, Why would you even be talking about this? (laughs) We don't want to scare them off, right? No, the thing is, I think that we sometimes do ourselves a disservice by not clearly communicating what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We try to make an easy path for everything. All you have to do is go to a Billy Graham crusade when he was alive, say the prayer at the end of his 22-minute message, and then you're saved eternally forever. Doesn't matter what you do Monday through Saturday of the next week or the next year or whatever. It's just this is the easy path path. And I think we think about membership sometimes in the body of Christ in being that same easy path. And you might be thinking, well, didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, do not judge or you too will be judged. He did. But as we say around here, context helps me understand the content, the words that Jesus is saying. Truly, in that passage, go home and read the whole thing this week because I don't have time today to go through the entire thing. But I'm going to tell you this, that judgment, and we preached messages on this at the end of last year. That judgment that's talking there is talking about final judgment. Nobody's given you the ability to offer the final judgment. But surely the word of God is clear to tell us that we are to judge certain things, whether they're good or, or bad. When you go to the produce aisle, in Walmart or Kroger and you choose which bananas to take because you don't want the super green ones, you are making a judgment call. The bananas are not going to yell at you and say, why didn't you pick us? But people are different, aren't they? But we still are called to judge things. Later in the same chapter in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells his followers that they should be careful who they trust, careful who they let teach them and preach them, and beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. So how how can I do that if I'm not making right discernments and right judgments? Then later in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read this passage later, Jesus clearly calls you to rebuke the person sitting next to you in the body of Christ, if things need to be changed and corrected. God himself is a judge, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But God intends believers to judge as well. Listen to this, Romans 13, you can write this down in your notes. Romans 13 says that the state, the actual government, is a judge, and that's a good thing. 
We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told to judge ourselves. So there's a lot of details in here. I shouldn't be running around like the police in the body of Christ and trying to judge you and you and you and you and having never looked in a mirror myself. But that's the key. We've got to be doing all of that. And I think that sometimes more often than we would like to admit, we don't do any of that. We slack in our Bible reading so we don't have God's word hidden in our heart. We slack in our attendance or in our our part of being in ministry in the church. We slack in some areas and then all of a sudden we start actually acting like the person who doesn't want to be part of the body of Christ. And we've got to change that. If that's, if that's you, if the shoe fits, put it on today, but let God in his grace help you because the point is your growth. It is not your demise or your downfall. Hebrews chapter four and second Peter chapter one, we're told to judge one another in the church, but not in the way of final judgment. We don't have the position to be able to do that. Only God can. They, these passages clearly show church members are called to exercise judgment within the body of Christ. If we can't say how a Christian should not live, how can we possibly say how a Christian should live? So we have to be able to do this. And according to God's word, there should be a sharp contrast between the world and his church. There should be. And I think even though it was a little bit misguided generations ago, there was an attempt to be completely separate. And sometimes it went way off the deep end. And some of you might be nodding out loud or inside about that. I know that when I grew up in church, I don't know about the church setting you grew up in, but in mine, you couldn't go to movie theaters because that was sinful. It was, it was bad. You couldn't dance. You, my high school did not have any dances. It was a Christian school and we did not do that because you don't want to give into temptation. There was a lot of stuff that they separated themselves from the world. And I might just be getting more gray hair, but I'm thinking we actually were on a right path back then. And I might, my kids might be growing older, which means I'm wanting to go back to them days, okay? But the idea is that there should be a sharp contrast between the world and the church. So ask yourself this. Put yourself in the hot seat for a second. How different is your life from the lives of those who are not church attenders, who are not those who claim to be believers? How different are the activities? Just... For a moment. And then think about that in the context of the church. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. A whole passage here in chapter 5. We'll start in verse 9. Paul is writing to the church here. And listen clearly and closely to what he says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Or the immoral people. Um, And then verse 10, it says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Hold on, who's he talking about? He's saying there are believers that are sexually active before marriage, that are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And he says, and you have knowledge of this and you are not to associate with those people. 
It says this, do not associate with anyone who bears the name of brothers, brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunk, a swindler. Don't even eat a meal with the guy. Verse 11, but now I'm writing to you, not verse 11, is that right? Yeah, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother and then go to verse 12 for what I have, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul is saying this very clearly. So here's a little tip for you. If you know about something, you are responsible for that. I have a bad habit. Um, I've been working on it for years. I have no hope of victory. Okay. <clears throat> you ready to hear it? And that is sometimes I tend to treat people like they're idiots because I've told you already two and three and four and 12 and 87 times why in the world? So, so then I asked the question, like, what, what is going on? Like, why aren't you changing? Because you are responsible for the knowledge. If I told you how to do this job and you keep diverting from the path, you're going to either get me angry or whatever, and then we're going to move on and you're going to find yourself in a new, and that's in all of my life. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. I crushed my daughter's heart the, two weeks ago. And I, I just, in a moment of anger and frustration, what was going through your mind? And she just looked at me. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry, baby, but daddy has told you 16 million. Okay, just try not to get my blood pressure up. I'm telling you this because it applies to you. If you know the word of God because you've heard it on a Sunday, you've read it for yourself, you're responsible for everything you know. If you know about someone's life in the body of Christ, no matter how close or far the relationship is, you have a responsibility to help make that person grow. Not to just encourage them and say, hey, I hope that changes, but to actually help them grow. So let's keep reading. It says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And then verse 13, God judges those outside so purge the evil person from among you. I want you to think about this for just a second. Paul is telling the body of Christ that you are to judge inside of the church, inside of the body of Christ, and put that evil person outside because God is going to judge that person. You've got to release them because right now you need to make sure that they are living right. And if they're not, then you leave it up to God. So Paul assumes that there's a big difference between the world and the church. And I think you can find that pretty much on every page, starting with the Israelites and all the rules and laws. You think to yourself, well, God just must love laws. He gave 400 and whatever to the Old Testament Israelites. The point is he was trying to make them look different from the world around them. And he still wants to let that sink in your heart today. So if you're a member here at Celebrate Church, you signed a membership covenant. In just a few weeks, um, 
or in a short time, I should say. It might not be a few weeks. It may be shorter than that. Uh, if you're a member, you'll receive a giving statement for your 2019 giving. That'll show all of your gifts to the church so that you can use that for your tax purposes. But I always tell this. I want you to receive that envelope, open it up in a moment of prayer and worship, and celebrate and thank God for his faithfulness to you. Because it's amazing when you consider that. Inside of that giving statement will be your membership covenant renewal. So you're going to get a chance to choose whether you want to stay committed in the body of Christ here. So Bill, I'm going to use you because I never use you. So Bill is a member in our church. And if he chooses to not renew his membership covenant, let me ask the body of Christ here. Will he still be welcome the next Sunday? Yes, Yes, he will. But we've got to know who's with us. Amen. So this is what our membership covenant says. Let you be reminded right now. It says this. I will protect the unity of my church. How do I do that? These three things. Act in love towards other members. We're supposed to act in love towards the world. But a lot of times we skip this one. So act in love towards each other. Refuse to gossip. Man, that is such a problem everywhere. Every business, every place. Did you hear what? Don't be part of that on your job. You're supposed to be different. Hey. Okay. And then protect the unity of the church by following the the leaders. Don't, Don't try to undermine leadership. That's important. Number two, I'll share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth. If you haven't prayed for your church and this guy, close to saying you're living in sin. Because the Bible calls us to pray for one another. And if we don't obey that, then we are not obeying God. So how else am I supposed to share the responsibility of the church? Inviting the unchurched to attend. Listen, Morrison Heights is a great church. Pine Lake is a great church. I love those people there. They should stay there. Don't tell your buddy, oh, my pastor is better than yours, which it's not going to happen. It's a joke, okay? Uh, but don't tell them, oh, our worship is this or, or this or you, you're looking for a different church. No, we don't need lateral movement. We need upward growth. So invite the unchurched to attend. That person on your job who you really don't love all that much. God can change them. They might show up in church. And then here's this. By warmly welcoming those who visit. This burns in my heart. I've shared the story a million times. We had a, a greeter in a previous church who judged somebody within the hearing of them being judged. And I mean, I'm telling you, I, it boils my blood and it makes me think it boils God's blood. Because if you are not welcoming of those who come, then why call yourself a believer? Hello? Number three, I'll serve the ministry of my church. Some of you are missing out on an amazing blessing because you are not yet serving in the church. You need to be part of the ministry of the church. How did, how do you do this? Discover your gifts and talents. We can help you out with that. Being equipped to serve by your pastors and your leaders. We help you out with that by developing a servant's heart. How do you develop a servant's heart except for start serving? Well, I'm not really all that great at it. Start serving. Well, I don't really know all the details and I'm not a pro. Start serving. Well, I've never tried it. Start serving. Because that's the way that you can serve the ministry of the church. And number four is this. I'll support the testimony of my church. There's three ways you can do that. Many more, but we put three in this covenant. Attend faithfully. 
it's important. Being together with the family is important. By living a godly life, I'm running through this list really fast, but this is key. Number 4.2, by living a godly life. And then by tithing 10% and giving regularly. So you not only please God individually when you live a Christ-honoring and godly life, but you're supporting the good name of the church in the community. I truly, sincerely believe that God is a happy fella. But I believe there are things that make him very, very deeply grieved and sad. And one of those would be if the name, the testimony of the church in the local community gets tarnished because there are people who are not living a godly life, not attending, not giving. That's really important that you think through that. I think everyone should be a member of a local church. It doesn't have to be this one. But you need to be a member. It's good for you. And it comes with obligations and responsibilities. So just know that as we go into number three, this question is the the final question for today. What does the Bible say about this practice of church discipline? Two weeks ago, I shared with you from Hebrews chapter 12, and I shared with you about God disciplining his kids God disciplines us, and he actually commands us to do the same for one another. The believers in the body have a special responsibility to do this, and I am not jumping on a soapbox because I'm mad. I am telling you something because it's the truth. That is not only your pastor's job. It is your job. If your job, if your career moves you to a new city tomorrow and you find a new church to be in, you better understand that this does not just fall on the guy who stands up here. It falls on all of us. So God's word definitely trumps all cultures and political correctness. Whereas we think in the American culture that uh, we, you know, what business is that of mine? Well, it's really important because we want you to know it is your business and it is your job. God says that we have a responsibility to discipline our brothers and sisters in Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 is where we'll start and we'll read this passage. Some of y'all need to earmark, highlight, and go back to this later. This is not... Old Testament, this is not done away with, this is Jesus speaking. And he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother back. Meg, I am so hurt. Can you believe that Andrew treated me like this? Do you know what that's called? Gossip. Y'all are so good. Y'all don't even need this. Okay, so that's gossip. But if I go over here after Andrew didn't return my phone call, I don't know, and and offended me, okay? And I said, okay, let's not get too rowdy, okay? And I said, hey, Andrew, it really bugged me the other day. I really needed somebody to talk to you. I called, couldn't get a hold of you. Like, I just needed you to know that really bothered me. Then he can say, shove off, okay? Or... He can own up to it and say, you know, you're, I'm really sorry you were going through something hard. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. Please forgive me. Our bond has increased and tightened. Now that's a simple, very stupid analogy, 
But that happens in the body of Christ where somebody gets, whew, I almost said that, and that's good that the Holy Spirit's with me. (laughs) Where someone gets hurt, gets their feelings stepped on, and then they just walk around with an angry face. Well, I'm just going to sit over here on this side of the church now. You, you laugh, but people do that stuff. So it actually says, Jesus said, I am to go and confront him and, and talk it through. And then if we've solved it, then we've come to a solution for it. Then I've won my brother and I'm stronger and better. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. The best, deepest relationships you have in this world are the ones that you fought in. Because you're willing to and willing to work through. And sometimes people just take off the gloves and go home. The idea here is that God is telling us in his word, this is what we're supposed to do. So if I have knowledge of something that has occurred, I need to find out how to correct it. Verse 16, here's the bad part. If he does not listen, then I'm going to go to leadership in my life. And I'm going to say, Hey, I really need, and since I'm using Andrew, I'm going to use a same gender example. So I'm going to say, Dan and Mark, I trust you guys. I want to tell you, this is something that happened. It affects me. And it's something that Andrew did to me. And I need to talk it out with you. And I really want you to help support me to go with him and confront him. Do you know what that step stops? It stops stupidity. Because Mark and Dan can say, I really don't think not returning a phone call should have hurt your feelings, Pastor. And then they have the opportunity to discipline me, to to help correct me and say, I'm not really sure. It's not because Mark's buddy-buddy with Andrew that he would try to avoid the conflict. It's because he's trying to help me be a bigger man, a bigger godly man. So then I talk to one or two and then it proceeds. Verse 17, if he then refuses to listen to them, to that small group, then tell it to the church. Stand up on a Sunday morning in your seat. Andrew didn't return my phone call and I'm still mad about it. I've approached him twice and he still will not correct his behavior. I'm trying to use something dumb and little because there's so much bigger stuff that happens in the body of Christ. We've got to have a giggle about this for a second. But the idea is if he refuses to then listen to the church... All of y'all would, if it was righteous and holy, would then rise up and say, Andrew, what are you thinking? What you did was wrong. You need to correct this. Be reconciled with your brother. It's not worth it. God's word says forgive. That's what would happen. But if he doesn't listen to the church, then let him to be to you like a Gentile and a tax collector. How many of you excited about April 15th? <laughs> okay. For the record, that was a no, sir, not a yes, sir. Okay. So treat him like an outsider. Let him go. So, Bill, if that happens in that situation, you're not welcome back, okay? (laughs) To go back to that other analogy. So here's what it says. Verse 18. You've got it all wrong, guys. I've had it wrong. Verse 18 is not about prayer. Read the verse on the screen. 
Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree, I've been guilty of standing in a prayer circle and saying those words. It doesn't have to do with prayer. Okay, it was just for me. I, I learned something, okay? It doesn't have to do with prayer. It has to do with correction in the body of Christ. So it says, if you two or more agree on earth, anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So yes, this is talking about discipline. Lord, we pray right now that you would release him from the body of Christ, that you would cause him to just need you, to realize his need for you, that Lord, today we just set that. Yes, it is in prayer, but it's not just about, well, I'm believing with you. No, this is in the idea of corrective discipline and formative discipline. Verse 20, it says this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. In other words, God is saying, I'm your partner too, even in this process. So where two or three are gathered to enact this process of church discipline, I'm there with you. Look at 1 Corinthians. I'm almost out of time, so I'm trying to rush. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's go quick. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Hello, the Bible's weird. (laughs) There's somebody in the Corinthian church. I don't know the full details. We're not given those full details. I don't know if the father died and then the son to his mother, I don't know if he was still alive and he was just sexually immoral, but someone somewhere knew about it. Paul heard about it miles away, writes a letter to them and says, hello, it's reported to me that the stuff is happening in your body that doesn't even get tolerated in the world. That's not okay. It's not okay. So he says, verse two, and you are arrogant. So pride plays a part in not wanting to be accountable. In fact, I'd say that's the only real reason you don't want accountability is because you have too much pride. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul's understanding, if I'm reading this correctly, Paul's understanding is one person has confronted him, the two people have confronted him, The church now knows that this activity is happening for goodness sake. It's in a letter that's being read publicly inside of the church. So get rid of this guy and put him out today. Well, pastor, we don't have people like that in our church. We do have people who gossip. That's not that big of a deal. If you've ever been gossiped about, you know it's a big deal. Galatians chapter one or chapter six, verse one, brothers, if any one of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch and watch your own self lest you too be tempted. So don't put on your badge and start shouting at every person that walks through the door. Hey, I noticed this about your life and hey, I'm the police and God put me in your life to no, that's not the approach. In fact, I love this about Jesus. It says that he lived with, I'm going to put this word in the context, copious amounts of love, truth, and grace. All three of those things. 
He abounded in them. So in speaking the truth, you've got to have love. It's got to be motivated by that. But keep watch for yourself lest you be tempted. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says this. Try to stay focused. I know there's some movement going around, but make sure you stay keyed in on this last passage. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. If I'm reading that letter today in the context thousands of years later, and we know that there is a lack of holiness, not a lack of knowledge. There's a difference. If somebody's doing something wrong and they just don't know better, help them know better. But when you know better and there's a lack of willingness to obey the word that is found in God's word, then have nothing to do with them. Let them feel disconnected. Let them feel ashamed. What kind of God would do that? Allow his people to treat other people like that. And the answer is this, a God who loves. He has an unquestionable love for all of us. It says, verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy. So don't treat him as the worst scum of the earth, but warn him as a brother. You say, pastor, what am I supposed to do about this um, this week? How, how can I take this message home with me? I'm not entirely sure. I think the Holy Spirit is good enough and wise enough to deal with each one of us in our own separate way. And that today there might be something, some aspect of your own life, which you say, you know what? I'm not on the right path in that. And before my sister or my brother comes to approach me and confront me, let me get this right with Jesus. You may be the person who has knowledge of another. You say, pastor, I'm an introvert. I don't have a great relationship close with that person. I I do know this stuff, but I don't know. Am I really like, don't I get a pass? No. So maybe the Holy Spirit, you could call out to him today and ask him how to approach that situation. Because I really believe what God's word says that he's coming back for a pure bride. And the only way for us to attain that purity in the here and now is for you to help me and me to help you. Would you stand with me? We're gonna stop here and pick up this same subject next week with some more practical stuff. But I just wanna pray over you today that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. He already has, I believe, for a majority of us and told us. But maybe there's something else going on in your life and you need prayer today. I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit. If you felt him tug at your heart about something in your life to get rid of it and to be done with it, then make that commitment today. If you felt the other uh, category of people of, you know, I know this, but I don't know how to handle it. I need some help. I'm not sure how to do it. Then pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that for you. But if you've got an issue on your job, in your finances, whatever it may be, we want to pray with you. So the worship team is going to do this one last song. Amy will close in prayer in just a moment. I'm going to step to this prayer station and you can just step out of your seat and go meet me there and I'll pray with you for whatever it is. Father, I thank you for your word that it brings life, that it brings health, 
Lord, I pray for Celebrate Church that we would be holy. Lord, that we would be righteous and that we would do this process of church discipline according to your word. Help us, Lord, as we attempt to live how you've told us to. Lord, that we would do it with truth and grace and kindness and love. Lord, bless this church this week as we strive to live for you in the world around us and help us to be different. In Jesus' name.